open your Bibles with this morning, if you would. Genesis. The first of the Genesis, chapters 1 through 3. One of my favorite passages of Scripture, and I'll tell you why. Genesis, the first three chapters. Continuing our series, Truth or Not, what we're trying to do, what I'm trying to do, is explain to you the foundation of what is typically called Judeo-Christian values. And it's a value system that's shaped us as a nation. I said last week that we are not a Christian nation. We never were. But we were, were formed and shaped by biblical teachings and values. As I said last week, the early founding fathers, many of them were not Christian. But most of them were students of the Bible and had picked up a value system that you and I share in so many ways. So we're going to talk about that and why our world differs in some significant ways. Genesis chapter 1. As always, we pray. We pray for our nation. Coming elections, a time for us to express our vote, to do our part as citizens, to be informed and know the issues, and to talk to people. It's all right to talk politics as long as you can control your mouth and your temper. If you can't control your mouth and your temper, don't. I mean, don't talk politics is what I mean. Uh, you need to control yourself like all people, so we need to do that. But it is something that we need to do as Christians is to make ourselves known. And there are a variety of Christian positions on all the issues that we talk about. So if you talk to your Christian friends, you're probably going to have some disagreement. I have found, much to my consternation, that my daughters have the for some reason mitigated gall to disagree with me on things and I, I don't know what to do about it. I can't fix them. So anyway, we pray for our nation. We pray for the situation in Ukraine, in Africa, in Florida. It is endless, isn't it? I'll give you a few moments of prayer where you're seated. I'll close and we'll look at this passage together. Father, we again thank you for your presence. We thank you for this privilege of worship where we know when we gather you are with us. You hear our prayers. You pay attention. You care. We thank you for this privilege. We worship today, Father, in spirit and in truth. The truths of your word. The presence of your spirit. We recognize that we are a sinful people and only come to you by grace Thank you for that grace. We thank you for the forgiveness you've given us in Jesus. For this life, we thank you. Father, this morning we come to you knowing that there are many in our midst and in this world that suffer. We pray, Father, that you would be with them. Use your influence with people to do a good work. Use your influence with your people to do a good work to nurture others, to share, to help as we can. We pray for our nation's leaders, those in elected positions of power. We pray that they might be given wisdom and discernment. Help them to see truth and act on it in a way that is just and fair. 
We pray, Father, for an escape from the partisan politics that tend to divide us on everything. Help us to stand together, to fight for the common good, to protect the defenseless, to care for the hungry, to love the unlovable. Help us, Father. We know we cannot make people Christian, but we can be a Christian influence. Help us that we might show people the goodness of God and the goodness of God's ways. As always, we pray for our first responders and their families, for our soldiers and their families, for those that have suffered loss. Help them. And Father, help us each day to live our lives in a way that honors you. Help us to remember that above all things, our goal is to honor you. Thank you, Father, for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, what is human? Kind of an odd question. Bipedal, carbon-based life forms. That's human. Personhood. Something different. I think I know what a person is. But you may know that we live in a world where sometimes simple things get very complicated. On screen is a picture of an elephant. Interestingly enough, it says, Happy the elephant, not a person. The reason that's there is because Happy is a, is a true individual in terms of an elephant. She's as smart as they come. She's been in the Bronx Zoo for many, many years. I didn't know this, but elephants live 70 to 80 years, sometimes longer. She's been in the Bronx Zoo for decades. And there are those that think that she needs to be moved to something better. So they went to court and tried to get custody. They couldn't do that. So they fought to have her declared a person and given personhood. Because a person cannot be detained illegally against their will without court action. So they tried to get her declared a person. And this is a legal wrangling thing. You'd think that only in America, but that's not true. Now, she was not declared a person, she does not have person, that's why that phrase, not a person, is there. Happy is still in a Bronx Zoo and doing quite well, evidently. However, there are those in the world that have done similar things. On the next screen is a picture of Sandra the orangutan. She is a person. And a court, she went through a court system for the very same reason. People who cared for her wanted her to be moved. And, and the court where she was tried in another country she did declare her person, give her personhood status, and so they acted on her behalf and moved her to a nicer place. Uh, strangely enough, this isn't all that unusual. It's uncommon, but around the world there is some confusion, and sometimes it's brought on by the legal system and, and the legal jargon that people use, and hopefully this isn't a trend. Uh, I'm sure Sandra is a very nice non-person person. Uh, I don't really want her in my neighborhood or anything like that. But, uh, you know, we talk about what people are and what people aren't. And this is one example of what some people think is a person. Well, those are kind of silly examples, but they are real life. Uh, but when we talk about what is human and who are we and how do we fit, what we do is we begin delving into some very Bible-based arguments, whether you want to or not. If you begin to talk about humanity and what are we and where do we come from and, and who are we and what is our worth and value and things like that, you have jumped into the heart of a Christian and bib biblical and Jewish worldview because we have distinctive ideas 
ideas that many disagree with that that would challenge the belief system of our modern world and so today we're going to talk about that follow along with me in Genesis chapter 3 I'm sorry Genesis chapter 2 we'll read verses 7 and 8 then 18 through 25 and then chapter 3 verse 6 chapter 2 verses 7 and 8 then the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being and the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden and there he placed the man whom he had formed now drop down to verses 18 through 25 then the Lord God said it is not good for the man to be alone I will make him a helper suitable for him and out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the bird to the man to see what he would call them and whatever the man called a living creature that was his name and the man gave names to the cattle and to the birds of the sky to every beast of the field but for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept then God took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place and the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which we had taken from the man and brought her to the man and the man said this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man for this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed chapter 3 verse 6 when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise she took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate so what we're going to do is talk a little bit about history and an even smaller part about science and then some theology and then, then some very practical things my wife warns me whenever I say I'm going to talk about history she goes oh my gosh here we go and her eyes roll back in her head within the first few seconds she says I, I get lost in the details so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that but just so you'll know Moses was leader of his people and on screen is this idea that we are the creation of God the crowning creation and so Moses was leader of the people you remember the exodus event Moses was a baby raised up in Egypt he was a Jewish child rescued from the basket you remember the whole story when he was about 40 years old he was aware of his people the Jewish people the Hebrews the slaves and the word Hebrew came from the word apiru which simply meant slave it wasn't a religious term at all slaves Moses because of his family situation was not counted among them but his mama had raised him she was his nanny and he knew who he was and there was an event and he killed an Egyptian man then he ran and hid for cover in the woods and became a shepherd and lived not happily ever after but he lived in the woods for many years at some point in the way God came to him the Barney Bush experience and this is all history and God called him into service and said I want you to go rescue my people he fussed and argued he got an assistant and God put him to work and out of that experience came the exodus you remember that 
You've seen the movie with Charlton Heston, hopefully. And because, interestingly enough, the experts say that Cecil B. DeMille got most of those miracle stories about right. So in that old movie, when it shows him crossing the Red Sea and the wind blowing the water and, and drying out the mud, Cecil B. DeMille did that as director. The Hebrew scholars today say that's just about what happened as good as anybody had an idea of. So, so that's kind of an interesting tidbit of history. So anyway, Moses led the people, and somewhere along the way, and Moses was leader of the people until he was about 120, then he died. So we had 80 years of leading the Hebrew people. Somewhere in that time, he began to fashion the slaves into the Hebrews. And you know this, just because people are together doesn't mean they're united, right? They can be divided on all sorts of issues, language and culture and habits and those kinds of things, and belief systems and those things. And so what he wanted to do was begin to unite them, and they ran into all these people in the wilderness, foreign peoples, which was a strange thing because they were foreigners themselves. And every time they encountered a culture, they would talk about their religious faiths. And they would find out that everybody had a creation story. Literally everybody but them. And so they started to come to Moses and said, Moses, what the heck? And really, and I imagine these conversations, and they didn't say it like that, but you know, uh, they, would, they would approach Moses and they were very proper. But they were slaves, so they weren't really schooled in grammar and those kinds of things. So I imagine this conversation, Moses, what the heck? Who are we? And who in the world was that God that did all those great things? Because they didn't know. Some of them did. But a lot of them, remember, were just slaves from all over the world that had been thrown into Egypt and they had lost their national identity, separated from their people. So, God worked with Moses and inspired them and he wrote the creation story. Now, you remember the creation story in Genesis chapter 1, the seven days and in the Sabbath. That is the official account that was used in worship. And so, I'm going to say something, so pay attention. There are two creation stories in the book of Genesis. The first one is the seven-day creation story by which, with which you are all so familiar. That's the official story. That was the one that was read in worship. So when Moses led the people in worship and the leaders led the Jewish people in worship, they would often read the creation account, the seven days. Because if you remember, the seven days creation account starts First day, second day, third day, up through sixth day. And on the seventh day, there was a Sabbath. And so what they would do is tie this in with the worship on Sabbath. And what it meant was these people all of a sudden had a, and an identity. We are the people of this God who created in seven days. Now in chapter 2 is a much different version. There's no contradictions, but it's different. So like I said, the first story, the creation account of seven days, that's the official technical preacher version, okay? In chapter 2, what I think is the homeboy version. And I imagine people sitting around the fire, and you know, this was an agrarian society, and every night they sat around the fire. There wasn't TV, they couldn't fuss about the news, and they couldn't watch their phones and spend their time looking at little bitty screens like we do. So instead, they would talk. And they would build fires and they would roast wieners and make s'mores. No, not really, but that's what they would want to do if they could have. And they would just sit around and talk. And then it became a routine where somebody, oftentimes, would tell a creation story. And they told an easier version. 
the seven-day story was long and hard, remember, and those kinds of things. And, and so people would take turns. And interestingly, uh, uh, with ancient culture that was adjusted to oral tradition, people could just get up and talk. And they did that in front of their families. So in uh, all these people in the woods, they built these fires and they told a creation story that was very simple. So in chapter 2 is what I think is the homeboy version. No contradictions, but it's just simpler. They don't worry about a lot of the details. They don't try to build a seven-day system or anything like that. They just say, God made man, and somewhere along the way, God made plants and animals and things like that. And it was a very simple and those kinds of things. It included all the, all the pertinent details, but it was just different. So if anyone ever says to you, well, you know there are two different creation stories, that's true. Don't get shook about it. God inspired both of them. They're both true. One is the preacher version. Another is the casual version. And I think if you don't press it, that that'll be a, a good way to understand it. Like I said, the seven-day version was used in worship to teach a, a form of worship and to show why the Sabbath was so important. And if you remember, one of the things that Jesus did that got him killed was he messed with the Sabbath. Because by the time Jesus came around, the Sabbath was something special. And you don't mess with something special. He did, and it got him killed. But the other version didn't worry about that so much. Talked about man and God and those kinds of things. So there's that. And that's all the, all the history you're going to get today, all right? So, there we have these creation stories. And God was building the national identity. He wanted this group of slaves that had grown up all slaves, they didn't get to hang out together in Egypt. They, they worked sun up to sundown, and then dog tired, they went to bed. And that was a slave's life. And hopefully they lived to see another day. That's what they did. Now though, they were all one people led by this guy named Moses, and they had this common history and this common story. This is where we came from. And they began to build a nation on that. And you know the rest of the story. So what we're going to do today isn't talking about a lot of science or anything like that. We're going to talk just a little bit about that. Then we're going to talk about the theology. The theology is what this means on a spiritual level. In other words, fast forward several thousand years, here we are. Why does Kevin insist on reading the book of Genesis all the time? It's hard for me to preach a sermon. You've noticed this, if you can stay awake. It's hard to preach a sermon and me not refer to the creation story because I think it is the most important passage of scripture. It has it all. It has a story of who's in charge. In beginning, God created. It has a story of what he did. He created us. It has a story of what happened to us. We sinned. And then it has a story of what is called the Proto-Evangelium. Remember, after the fall, part of the punishment was he looked to the evil one and said, from now on, you're on the ground and you're going to hurt my people and the seed of this woman you're going to hurt him but he's going to crush you and that was the beginning of the gospel message and that's why I think that the creation story really is important to us all okay so on screen we're going to talk about the things that were taught by this these are theological and eternal truths whenever I look at a passage of scripture I look at not just the history, not just the details of the story, but I try to discern what is a truth that is always true about this story. What does the passage say that God wants us to catch? All right? And so what we're talking about are things that make us, us. 
Christians with a common history with Jews, what makes us different other than this faith in Jesus? So first of all, we are made in God's image. So that means God's a white guy just like me, right? No. Well, he's a black guy then. No, he's not a guy at all. God is spirit. We worship in spirit and truth, so says the gospel writer. So what we have to understand is God is spirit and we are made in his image on a spiritual level. What that means is when you experience emotions, you get that from God. He created that within you. He experiences emotions. When you think and you think through and you try to discern what's going on and all those kinds of things, you get that capacity from the God who created you. He created you to think. It's not like animals who don't think. Now some of them, you know, dogs are smart enough to figure out where the, where the food is and those kinds of things. That's not what we're talking about. Those higher uh, in intellectual functions, you get those because you were created by God. You can create music, you can create recipes, you can create other things because guess who is creator? The one God. He gifted you, he fashioned you to be like him in so many ways. And so it just makes sense that people are religious. People everywhere are religious because they know instinctively that there's something more than just stuff. We are created in the image of God. It's one of those simple teachings. God created us in his image. So says the scripture. And then all from one equal. Now here's a deal. Everybody's the same. There is no more revolutionary teaching on this planet in any historical age other than everybody is equal. You've read world history. It is amazing how we have ignored this teaching. You know, I've told you, I work with my kids in their homeschooling environment, and we're doing history and English history and then Asian history, and it's one story after another of people rejecting this idea that everybody's the same. We are all the same. When we ignore that, someone suffers. It doesn't mean that everybody looks the same, obviously, we don't. Or that we all act the same or like the same music. Obviously, there are differences. But we are all persons of worth created by God. So the little children's song is right. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. That's true, guys. One of those songs that gets it right. And it doesn't matter where, whether red and yellow, black and white are politically correct terms. And I know people have a problem with that. The, the idea is that we're all the same that God loves us all, we are all persons of worth, and that is absolutely true. Amazingly enough, you will never meet anyone that is not a creation of God. You will never meet anyone for whom Jesus did not die. He valued them that much. He values us that much. We're all the same. Racial differences, and here's a little bit of science. Racial differences are a response of our bodies to cultural and physical factors. Now for a long time you and I were taught that God made the races. We're beginning to find out now, you know the Human Genome Project has helped us to discern this, that really we're all the same. Duh! What did the Bible say? We're all the same. And that the way you are tends to be because of where your ancestors grew up and spent their lives. Let me give you an example. You probably have noticed this. I'm very white. It's kind of funny. When I first came one of the young black children came up and said, you are the whitest man I've ever seen. 
And I, I wasn't offended, didn't really take it as a compliment. You know, I, I know I don't have pigment. I burn, and that's why I wear long sleeves in the summer, etc., etc. But anyway, the thing about being white like me is I do really good in areas where I don't get much sun. My body makes vitamin D, which I have to have to be healthy. And I can get enough vitamin D from the sun just by walking outside, even if I have a long sleeve shirt on. Those with darker skin, you name the color, doesn't matter, they have trouble with that. So historically what happens is, those with white skin tend to navigate and migrate towards the north. And those with darker skin tend to migrate towards the south. So millennia ago, people tended to go where they were comfortable and could survive. Because millennia ago, people just wanted to stay alive. So people that couldn't function up north, they went north and they didn't like the cold and they knew they didn't do well. And they said, man, we got to get out of this place. And they did. People like me that were colored like me said, oh my gosh, I got to get out of here. It's hot and I'm dying. My skin fries and all those things. So we migrated north. One scholar said this. He said, if you started in Alaska and you just walked south and you didn't have phones or meat or anything and you just walked south you probably wouldn't even notice the change in races because it's so gradual because of those factors God made us equal he made us to where we could survive he made us to where we could adapt to our environment it's, it's a wonder the fact that we are different colors and types is a testimony and a testament to God's brilliance and his ability to create somebody like us that could survive. We're all from one, we're equal. And then here's a big one here. Men and women are separate and distinct and made for each other. Yeah. We're the same, remember, because number two still works. Men and women are equal, intelligent, capable, powerful, all those kinds of things. And we are separate and distinct, meaning God intended for us to understand that there are men and women. Now you're thinking, oh, wait a minute here. We've got problems in our culture. Well, I downloaded an article this week. And you need to kind of listen to this because this is really messing me up. What are the other 72 genders? And I, I do not need to be critical or insulting towards those in the trans movement. I want you to understand that it, it is really outside of my experience and I don't understand what's going on. Just like you, I hear you talk. What is gender identity? Gender is no more regarded as a binary concept where one can either be male or female. Now, if you think that there are men and women, stop, you are cisgender. If you're not, you're something else. And there are 72 versions here. And uh, the term gender identity means how a person identifies themselves concerning their gender. So I'll read you just a few. And again, I, I'm trying not to, uh, I don't want to mock people or insult or criticize them because that's not really a Christian response either. I, I don't understand all of this. And this comes from those in the trans movement. So, and I'll, there are 72 here. I'll just read a couple of them. Aerogender, also called Eve's gender, this gender identity it changes according to one's surroundings. So in some settings, some people will identify as a male, and in other settings, they will identify as a female. In other words, when they say identify, they, they feel most comfortable 
with that gender. And again, I'm not defending this, I'm just explaining this. And I won't spend too much time here. Affect you gender is based on the person's mood swings or fluctuations. So if you feel one way, you're, you're claiming an identity, and you're claiming another way, you, you claim a different identity. And they're just people, just different. And there was one more, alias gender. This gender identifies, strand, stands apart from existing social gender constructs. It means having a strong, specific gender identity that is neither male nor female. So I could go on. You get the point here. It, it seems as if people are beginning to reject what looks to be a biblical teaching because, you know, it does say God made male and female. And I, I really think that when we get away from God's teachings, we, we tend to hurt ourselves and just leave it at that, okay? So what we're talking about here is what I used to be called a pathology. Now, a pathology is when something is wrong, when you're, you're not functioning and the way you are uh, keeps you from being happy and satisfied in life and those kinds of things. When I got my degree in psychology a long time ago, there was this thing called gender dysphoria. And that was when a man was uncomfortable in man's, man's body and he was treated for that and so on and so forth. And so 40 years ago when I was in school, it was a diagnosable condition. And there is a book called the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual that psychiatrists use. Fast forward 40 years, the DSM still has gender dysphoria. It is still considered a diagnosable condition, a pathology, because people with this gender dysphoria can't feel happy or satisfied in the body and gender identity that they received at birth. And so it's still treatable. Now, fast forward, we've, we've come up with these treatment regimens of surgery and, and drugs and hormone treatments and all those kinds of things. And right now, our culture is really struggling with this. And I don't want to spend too much time on this, but we are struggling because we have these people who are obviously hurting and they are unhappy and they don't know what to do. And the medical establishment and some others have said, well, this is what we need to do. We need to cut off your parts and remove parts and make parts and give you a whole lot of drugs for the rest of your life and you'll be happy. So far that has not happened. I mean, they're doing this, but people aren't happy. It is a, a terribly destructive thing and it is something that you get, and hear this, when you move away from God's plan. I am not saying all people in the trans movement are evil. There are some, but for the most part they're just kids trying to be happy. You know, so if you have in your family someone who is trans or struggling with that, how are you supposed to treat them? Well, you love them. And you treat them with respect and courtesy. If they ask you, talk to them. Say, you know, I don't get it. And, and say that, I don't get it. And that's what I would say, I, I don't understand. And hopefully you can keep a conversation. Do not yell and scream at them. Don't condemn them as immoral. Because for the most part, those in a trans movement are just trying to be happy. And they're really struggling. And you've seen the news and, and everything is going on. And what's happening now, it's beginning to be a mess because there's going to be a lot of money involved and a lot of government money is involved and those kinds of things. And that tends to confuse everything. Just remember this. As God created us, there's man and woman. And the farther you get from that standard the less happy you will tend to be. It's just the way it is. It's the effects of sin and the effects of getting away from God. It doesn't mean these people are horrible. 
um, please, it, it's, it's tragic when you talk to them and you hear about how they aren't accepted and those kinds of things and they're miserable and sometimes the way Christians talk to them and treat them makes it worse. And that's probably not God. What God doesn't want us to attack people. He wants us to love them and treat them well. Those kinds of things. Now on screen we go to the next thing. And this continues and these are all connected you're going to find out. One of the things that the scripture teaches is that we are personally responsible. What this means is when you do something crazy or you shoot your mouth off, you cannot blame it on your mama. Well, my mama didn't spank me when she should have. Well, my mama taught me to act like this. That doesn't work. Now, that works when you're 12 or 13. When you see a kid acting badly, you can say, you know, mama needs to get on that boy. And that's right. When he's 18 or 38, mama can't fix him. Scriptures teach us this idea of personal responsibility. In other words, you are responsible for you. You are responsible to restrain your desires. You are responsible to control your mouth. You are responsible to live in a way that is morally responsible and those kinds of things. That's all up to you. Mama can't get you saved. You can't get anybody saved. All you can do is talk and share the gospel and be an example. And they are ultimately responsible for their life. One other thing about this whole creation story. We were made for work. I know a lot of times we complain about work. And I work, I work, I, it's off to work I go. And who's, who's winning the rat race? The rats are winning, blah, blah, blah. You know, Jackie Gleason. You know, we talk about that, how we hate our jobs and things like that. Uh, here's a, a way to gain perspective. Talk to someone who cannot find a good job. Who is desperately looking for a good job that pays enough where they can pay the bills. Talk to them and ask them if work is good. And they will tell you, I am desperate for a good job. Work is one of those things that is gift from God. It is gift because it does a lot of things. Number one, it challenges you. I've noticed this. If you sit in front of a TV long enough, in front of a TV long enough, you will begin to decompose. Have you noticed that? You'll get fatter. You'll get dumber. You'll forget how to think because you've been sitting there for so long. And nothing good happens from you sitting there and doing nothing for hours and weeks and days and months and years. We were made. Our bodies, our minds were created to do. Get up and work. Whether or not you're paid isn't the issue. The fact of whether it's in or out of the house isn't the issue. You were created to do. So when you talk to a woman or a man who stays at home and they're full-time homemakers, they're working, and you know that. They're working hard. And they should be appreciated. You talk to a guy who's got a great job, he should be respected. You talk to a guy who's got a crummy job and sticks with it to pay the bills, he should be respected. Work helps us. It challenges us. It forces us to learn new skills. It pries us away from the TV and hopefully away from our phones and all those kinds of things. And it makes us better. It's pretty amazing the way God put things together. All this comes out of the creation story, you see. This is how God wants us to live. He wants us to, to relate to each other, to love each other, to work, to understand who we are, to be responsible for ourselves, to live according to his will. And the creation gives us that idea because God wants to bless us. On screen is this idea 
that we were created for greatness. Read this passage with me. We are his workmanship created for good works in Christ. There's that creation thing, worksmanship. God is working in our lives. He created us to be. As we follow Jesus, he continues to recreate us, making us better, stronger, smarter, more moral, etc., etc. That's all true. Those who follow Jesus have the capacity to be even better than they used to be. And it doesn't mean that we're better than non-Christians. It means that we are uniquely situated where we are allowing God to work with us and we follow his plan. So we begin to be people that can do great things. On screen are just some people, some of God's success stories. Talked about Moses for 80 years, led his people, gave them a national identity. The Jewish people who exist today do so because Moses did such a great job training slaves how to live and do faith. Jesus was a man, just like us. The Bible says he was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was the second Adam. You know what happened to the first Adam? He blew it. The second Adam, Jesus, got it right. He lived, he resisted sin, and he served God. A success story, right? Gutenberg, you remember him, made the printing press. You know, I didn't know this. Historians say that the printing press is the singular most important invention in human history. And all he did was fashion metal letters out of antinomy and, and, and tin and lead and experimented for months to get the right blend of oils and inks to work and then figured out how to make a wine take a wine press and print sheets and not only did he print Bibles that first year, you know what else he printed? The first book of instructions. The first book that would teach you how to play chess. So because of the Gutenberg press he printed this book and you could buy a book and chess became available to the masses. That's a God's success story because it enabled people everywhere to learn languages and science and all those kinds of things. Everyday folk. You do not have to be a celebrity to be God's success story. A man who works hard, keeps his marriage together, treats his wife and children well, pays the bills, and dies is a raging success in God's perspective. That's where most of us are. We will never be media personalities. We won't make it into a history book. We'll be just one of those people who, who lived our lives and took care of our families and died. And you are a raging success. So when you see a man or a woman doing that, and they're just doing their best, even if they make some mistakes, even if their families don't turn out just right, you know. People who live their lives and follow God are successes. And those bring glory to God. Like I said earlier, one of our goals is to bring honor and glory to God. We do that by living those lives that reflect our faith, that we treat people well, that we show other people what a Christian can be like. That's a raging success. All those other things on the bottom of the page are just... Big inventions, the wheel, powered flight, electrical power, microchip, modern medicine. Interestingly enough, a lot of these really aren't inventions at all. We didn't invent, nobody invented electricity, you know that? It's been here all along. 
It just took a guy flying a kite at the wrong time of the day to figure it out. And then we built on that. And you know that. A lot of times, God's best and brightest are merely discovering what he already put here. Those are God's success stories. People being the people that God wants them to be. They're not all perfect. Some of them have pretty colorful lives. The amazing thing is, God uses people that are just people. Have you ever noticed that? God's success stories are not always missionaries. You know, like, you know, we used to think that missionaries and preachers are right up there with Jesus. Well, we're not. We're down here with everybody else. I went to school, 600 of them. Let me tell you, they are no better than anybody else. They're just the same as everybody else. Warts and all. But all of us can be success stories. If you bring glory to God with your life, if you live morally, you restrain your impulses, keep your mouth and your temper under control, and you just live a decent life, you honor God. All these other things are just icing on the cake. A closing passage of scripture, if we can get this on screen, read this with me. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him and for him. You see, there's that created word again. All things have been created by him. Jesus was there at creation, the agent of creation. He created those things so that we might bring honor and glory to God. He owns all things and when we achieve greatness in whatever form, we honor and glorify the God who created us. That is the value system that we have inherited from some of our forebears and some of our nation's founders and even farther back than that, people of faith over the centuries. And it is a faith system that can allow you to have a good and decent life and keep you from the excesses in the craziness of a changing world. The farther we get away from God's ways, the worse we get. And we're going to see that, I'm, I'm afraid. So what I want you to do is stand with me now. And as Nate leads in this singing, consider if there are decisions that God wants you to do and make. If there are changes that you need to make in your life. And make those choices to be responsible and responsive to God. And if you want to come down and make something public, you can do that. Nate, would you lead us? comes down to lead us in a closing prayer. Uh, some of you know, most of you know this, but Glee Callan, one of our 
older members died at the young age of 98 over the weekend and her service will be here tomorrow visitations at 10 services at 11 so hope you'll come for that and just send her off with a shout good life Andy would you come and lead us as we close I'm remembering a I was cleaning out my garage and I, I found a picture that uh, it was talking about a boy walking down a beach and he was throwing these um, sea turtles or something back into the, the ocean. A man came up to him and said, there's miles of beaches here. Are you really going to make that big of a difference? And he leaned down and he picked up one and he threw it back in the water and he said, I made a difference to that one. Let's think about that as we go out into the world with our deeds and our actions that we can make a difference one at a time. Thank you, God, for everything that you've given to us. In your name we pray. Amen.